0: Sweet Talk Alliance Edition with Gene Book. Securing the future of genetic identity for a better life. With Daniel Gutierrez and Bupinder ruler of Gene Book.
1: Blockchain. Global commerce. Cryptocurrency. Supply chain. Decentralization. Liquidity. DAOs. Logistics. Crypto economics. Game theory. Fair trade. Altcoins. IoT. Exchanges. Fintech. 3D printing. Artificial intelligence. Security. In a decentralized world where global commerce is frictionless and value is liquid, there's Sweet Talk from Sweetbridge the show that brings together the worlds of blockchain and supply chain with the thought leaders of a new liquid economy. And now, your host, Jason English.
2: It's Sweet Talk with SweetBridge and one of our newest and leading partners in the life sciences and pharma industry, Gene Book. So we're joined by them today. But before we get started, I'd like to actually uh, kick it off with a little video Uh, An instructional under two minute uh, clip from Genebook and this should help you uh, introduce the subject.
1: Imagine a world where you can offer your DNA as a service. Here's Roger. Just like everyone else, he might be genetically predisposed to develop a disease. So he plugs into Genebook and starts sharing his DNA and health information. Genebook uses blockchain and smart contracts to make sure that Roger remains anonymous and doesn't share more than he is comfortable. Genebook connects Roger's data to leading market research centers, pharmaceuticals, food companies and supermarkets. After identifying genetic risks, these organizations sent him value-based products and services tailored to improve his condition. In turn, these companies refine market needs, making them more competitive and socially inclusive. Roger feels better already By anonymously sharing data from his wearable, he obtains insurance discounts and gets benefits at supermarkets on food that keep him healthy. And yes, Roger still remains anonymous. Genebook's ecosystem enables value creation for all stakeholders, including Polina's startup that develops apps that help people like Roger monitor their condition. Genebook, revolutionizing personal healthcare smartly.
2: So I think that makes pretty good sense now. We have a good picture of what's going on. So I'm joined today um, by uh, Daniel Gutierrez, uh, CEO and co-founder, Bupinder Bueller, uh chief scientific officer and co-founder of GeneBook. Excellent.
0: Hi. Hello. Everybody. Nice to meet you.
2: Yeah. It's good to have you guys on. Um, well just to, to start us out, can you guys tell me a little bit about your backgrounds and how that's led you to this point? in your development. Sure.
3: So I, I, I kind of start. Um, so my name is Daniel Gutierrez. Uh, we well, basically, we started Gymbook, uh something like six months ago. And, uh, but before jumping into what Jimbook specifically is, uh, I want to introduce uh, my, my background, how we end up doing this. So I, I came to Switzerland in, uh, 10, 11 years ago. I am originally from Colombia, so I studied physics over there, and um, I, I came to to Lausanne originally here in Switzerland to finish my studies in physics. I was there. I was that was my first touch with biology. I was uh, doing my thesis in physics in the in the field of uh, the mechanics of uh, cancer using different types of uh, technologies, uh, and um, I, I observed that the biology was fascinating for me. So I wanted to, to learn more about that. Then I, uh, after, after EPFL, I moved to the University of Bern for my PhD in the field of cardiology. So I was looking at uh, cardiac arrhythmias and uh, all the molecular mechanisms that lead uh, to cardiac arrhythmias. Um, and there I discovered lots of, uh, uh, lots of things about drug development and how drugs uh, really influence your body. And I was super interested. So I moved to to Zurich and to work for for Roche and the ETH, which is the the national university, but in the field of cancer. So we were discovering mode of action mechanisms of Mm -hmm. anti-cancer antibodies that are currently in in clinics uh, in the market. And uh, my responsibility was, look for uh, how tumor cells escape the treatment and uh, also how immune cells kill tumor cells with the treatment. After that, um, I moved to a, to a software company here in Basel, where I currently live. Um, we, were, we were discovering different types of uh, uh, methodologies to study preclinical development process for, for pharmaceuticals. Uh, we were using uh, softwares such as uh, Deep learning approaches to study different images, biomedical images, and uh, optimize the drug development process. And at that point was when uh, I started to look into different types of uh, fields, such as uh, genomics and uh, the drug development, and we merged some, some sort of ideas. Uh, I, a little bit after, I met Bupinder, and uh, we started really to discuss a lot, and that's how. We, we came up with the idea of Jim Book.
0: But i let Bupinder now introduce himself. My background is that I did my studies in biochemistry and molecular biology. I trained in molecular oncology at Harvard Medical School and uh, then went on to do some exciting things on, uh, on genomics and genomic space at MIT where I had my first position. And I got recruited by Novartis to work on, uh, gen- on uh, drug discovery aspects. Platform that we we developed based on the technologies I had developed in Boston. And one of the things I did on the side was genomics. I wanted to sequence various samples, tumors, and bacteria or or fungi organisms that can undergo drug resistance. And I wanted to show that by looking at their genome, I can elucidate what's causing their drug resistance. And I started that program back in two thousand nine. And I, I, what I learned over time was that the genome is such a massive file that we need to be able to also share it with people to be able to get the, you know, elucidate all the uh, very important interactions that are, that are genome phenotype interactions that are, that are important for our healthcare needs. And uh, that brings us to a present day where we, where we're now working together on trying to develop that platform.
2: Yeah, so that's interesting. Very rich, uh, very rich backgrounds in uh, pharma and research uh, you know, across the world, basically. And, and it seems like you probably have uh, more of that brain trust within your your company as well. Um, the rest of the team, Daniel. Uh, so basically, uh, you both have such a mix of different programs that you've been part of. Um, how did the idea for GeneBook arise out of? all of these research projects that you guys have done over the last years and at, at previous places?
3: Sure. Uh, so as, as Bubiner was saying, there is the need to share data, right? This is, uh, this is a massive amount of information about yourself and talking about the DNA. Um, so when I, was, when I was working on and, and these drug resistance experiments and, and looking at how tumors escape treatment also, how the immune system engaged to kill tumors. Um, we, we observed that probably different types of cells could have different types of uh, mutations. And um, if that's correlated to, for example, a human being, uh, it would be interesting to know why. Uh, so if you, if you know better yourself and you could make that data work for you, you could probably live longer, prevent diseases at early stages. And actually, this has, it has consequences to... Uh, to decrease the amount of uh, healthcare care costs that we are having at this point. If I remember well, the, I think the, the 90% of the cost of hef- health for a patient happens during the last year of life. I think that was, uh, that was a re- research by uh, Kaiser Permanente that I read a uh, few months ago. And, and this, is, this is very worrying because uh, if we can decrease that, we can increase actually the service that, that we can offer to, to everybody, to people and uh, actually be healthier, right? Which is ultimately what, what everybody wants. Yeah, I
2: excellent.
0: I can add to that just a minute, in a second. And that is that we also see that um, we're in this really interesting phase, so actually we're, when we are doing the sequencing program at uh, my company and doing um, community-based forums on understanding where the technology, software, and applications reside, we realize that what we need to do is bridge this sort of chasm or chasm. And the chasm is that we have this lots of um, medical conditions, but we also have lots of genetic information that is not connected very well to that as a proof of concept. So in this early phase, our platform will be the pivotal connection between the genotype and the phenotype, understanding, the, making those connections for the entire healthcare industry. And uh, so we realized that that was a real unmet need that we need to fulfill with, uh, with this platform.
3: Exactly. So adding to
0: that a little bit,
3: yeah. so the, the, the lifestyle that drives probably certain types of diseases could be better understood if you know your, your genomic information, if you know your, your DNA, right? So like this, you can fine-tune what you do during your life uh, to make it work for you. And again, live longer and healthier.
2: Yeah, this is very interesting. And I wonder how you can, um, uh, Lupinder, Could you start out and, and kind of take me through a sample use case for Genebook and how this, uh, this could be applied?
0: Yeah, sure. So from our pharma background, we know that uh, we have lots of new drugs coming where we have a genetic indication that, that maybe works well for that drug. In the old days, they used to treat the same uh, condition like lung cancer as one big ba- um, group. But we know that you can delineate that group into smaller uh, groups which have certain variants that might be more, have more efficacy with that drug. For instance, an EGFR mutation on a certain amino acid is very good with a drug or another one would be very good with chemotherapy. But if you treat them the same, um, a, a pharma company would get a mixed bag of results and they, they would not be able to, have to question the efficacy of their medication. So what one use case that we have developed in the first launch is that pharma companies can go through our database, select the the health conditions that they're looking to study and then query if that individual has the variant that they're interested in. And what comes back to them is now pseudo anonymized data the, uh, from the individual that says, here's the individual with that health condition and what is their variant that they have so that they can um, now further do, determine what the next steps will be, whether they'll launch a clinical trial and want to include that individual in which the, they can do that invitation. So that's one use case. And in that same case, when that patient individual shares the data, we want them to get reimbursed as well. So in some ways, so that because for the data sharing aspect. And that happens through our token economy that we, that we set up, the gen tokens.
2: Yeah, this is where it crosses over from uh, how we thought of research in the past where you um, would be basically this kind of top down approach where instead you can take the data from the patients and use that to help um, drive outcomes. I mean, Daniel, I think you had mentioned before that, that there's a lot of um, applicability to uh, very rare conditions and diseases as well. So um, is that a use case that you would um, uh, be able to highlight here?
3: Exactly. Uh, so for example, in, in the case of rare diseases, I mean, one in, in 17 people have a, a rare disease, right? It could be different. And so through GeneBook, you can actually find other people in different countries that have the same uh, type of disease. And uh, for example, TMAP, maybe even prepay a drug development process, maybe prepay a clinical trial for your specific condition, which otherwise it will never happen because uh, uh, let's say if, if the healthcare is not interested to, to reach to those type of diseases, then um, you will be forgotten. That's that's, that's basically what happens. So uh, you could you could, better get services that will never come to you and, and get to know people that share your same disease. So that's, that's one of the cases. Uh, there are other use cases that we are actually working on and uh, for example, with health insurances. Um, in the case of health insurances, this is very interesting because uh, sharing your, your genomic with health insurances would not be very comfortable to you. However, if, uh, if we are or if you are with GenBook and um, a health insurance is interested to know your uh, genomic information, you could freely share it without disclosing who you are. So your information is always secure and your health insurance could give you services that are tailored for that specific uh, genetic profile. So for example, if you could lower the risk to develop uh, diabetes, that would be very interesting. Like this, you could change your lifestyle uh, if, for example, if you are a pre-diabetic patient and uh, change what you eat and what you do during the day and drive, for example, certain discounts on your, from your health insurance or get value-based services that complement your, your condition or, or increase um, your uh, life quality.
2: Yeah, this is exactly where uh, blockchain becomes really useful um, in these types of scenarios, especially when you have... Uh, personal information, uh, but you need to be able to have access to certain services like this. Um, and exactly. we've done a lot of uh, of conversations around identity and, and how to secure uh, personal identity. Um, and obviously, when you get to genetic data, I mean, there's nothing more personal than uh, your own genome. And right. so, um, right. yeah. You know, so many countries have different standards for privacy and and how to manage that. And, and at the same time, there's there's many different ways to think about how you offer permission to an industry to to use that stuff. So, um, how do you approach the idea of privacy of this information, Bupinder? Uh, if you want to kick that sure. one off, it's 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 a big part of uh, the story here, I think.
0: Right. So when we were designing this from the ground up, we said the the most fundamental pillar, the fundamental pillar must be Data privacy. And uh, the way we try to do that is that we, first of all, well, we, we make sure that the data, genome data, is not associated with the individual uh, personal data. So we, we go through uh, extreme lens to make sure that we don't make um, the data available um, through, like, uh, you know, in, on, on any ordinary uh, cloud computing systems. We have a design system where there are called vaults, basically. The data goes into the vault, and that's where it's secured uh, at our client sites, which will do the sequencing for us, the partner sites. And in the smart contract can then access that data and get the result that we we want to be able to enable to be delivered. So um, in our servers, we store, on our platform, we store primarily metadata that can connect the individual's data to the genome, the pointer where the pointers might be, and um, indicating where the data might be reside, where it can be accessed and analyzed. But at the moment, uh, uh, fundamentally what we try to do is we try to make sure that uh, there's no parts of the data that are served that can de-identify an individual. So we always have to keep one step ahead of the analysis that are, that are being requested so that at no time do we actually compromise the individual's privacy. It's known that if you can, if you give, you know, large um, bits of information, those are very unique to an individual. We have to be careful what kind of questions are being asked of our data sets, so that no one can, uh, no one's privacy is compromised.
3: And you know, this, this data is also very sensitive because it's not only your data, but it's, for example, your parents' data as well as your kids' data, right? Um, you you share DNA with them, so we want to ensure that uh, through the whole process we don't we don't expose anybody, that the identities are protected, and that you feel comfortable and completely trust the system because we're using blockchain, right? So that's, that's our main uh, priority.
2: Yeah, that's, that is definitely the ante for entering the game, I would think, if you're uh, handling people's data. And um, you could probably see the regulations in different countries will catch up to these concepts. Eventually, but it's it's best to have it uh, answered up front the way you're approaching it right now. Um, exactly. So these, you uh, know
3: we are we are providing a system uh, for the regulators so that they looked into it and have the confidence that it will work. Uh, so we are um, discussing with the authorities here in Switzerland so that you know we have we have a, a system that is that is compliant with all the all the rules that they have in place. Uh, but at the same time, that they look at an, an opportunity to allow people to engage with these systems and make their data work for them.
2: Yeah, that's essential. It's almost like a, a regulatory sandbox as well as a technical one um, that has to be approached. So um, let's uh, kind of move off the idea of, the, of just the privacy and, and security part and then talk about the economics of. Uh, how, this, how this data can be used and tokenized and um, done in such a way that it is, you know, responsibly done, um, but that it can uh, provide uh, not just access, but some, uh, you know, additional value out of this ecosystem. So, um, you know, how do, how do the token economics, you know, brush up against, uh, you know, what you're doing at Genebook?
3: Sure. So, you know, we have two aspects. One aspect is the token economics. And the other aspect is the the actual token. So um, we are creating a a micro-share economy here where by using the token, you could also enable um, different uh, third-party service providers like for example, pharmaceuticals or health insurances to also team up with our teams or other companies uh, to analyze your data and give you better value-based services. So this is actually triggering different micro-transactions Of data and in the end you as a user will have the possibility to monitor what's happening. Um, On the other hand uh, our token is going to be used for the for the transfer of value from these institutions into you so they could uh, let's say create liquidity for you by you sharing that data but at the same time the value-based services that uh, you will obtain from them because you share the data with them will also be reflected in the token, in the token value. So there are, the, the idea is that there are many services that we can integrate in our platform where you can use the token and, and, um, in exchange for other type of services that are not necessarily related with the data, but that you got because you shared the data. So that's, that's what we are implementing right now.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. You know, Bupinder, do you have any uh, perspectives on um, other types of uh, economic workflows that could be enabled through Genebook?
0: Well, we first of all, we think that um, almost all the ecosystem that we are representing in healthcare have to, have to be uh, integrated into this. So, for instance, um, the insurers are looking at uh, our data, genome data, to better model the prevalence of disease in society so that they can, uh, you know, bring better programs. Governments, in the same way, they're looking at what kind of, uh, what, what is the prevalence of certain genetic markers that indicate the prevalence of uh, health conditions that may be coming into the population so they can develop better programs. And uh, so they're they're accessing the data in the same way, but anonymously from from the point of view of uh, the patients who or the citizens who have the data in the In the system. Um, And the other aspect is that we, as uh, Daniel alluded to as well, is that remember when we had the rare disease indication. So rare diseases by definition are rare because they occur in one in 10,000, one in 100,000, but uh, there are certain pockets of those that occur in certain regions or certain parts of the world, but you can connect them now. So it's kind of a flattening of the, the genetic landscape. And so you can bring those communities together by developing new kinds of, uh, of uh, products. And think of an app that can help people with a certain metabolism disorder get the better foods that they need to, to sort of take care of their condition. And uh, they can find where that food is or that, you know, the, 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 and locally source it from, from the region. And that could be an app which is developed based on uh, the data that's available through our platform.
3: And also uh, using the token, for example, you could pay for, for example, those services, right? Um, you could create a kind of a pool of, uh, of uh, tokens to sponsor this clinical trial or the development of a drug. And none of the users that own the token will need to disclose who they were. So this ensures that you can um, activate yourself, let's say, and, and initiate these kind of initiatives, all by using the token
2: yeah it's interesting there's a there's a play uh, from both a public sector point of view and different nations uh you know having initiatives to try to resolve uh big issues kind of at this macro level and then um from the patient micro level there's you know how do I get services directed to me that, that help um, help me personally uh, have better health or, or my family uh, live a better life so uh, that's it's good to have both of those you know angles to um how this economy is approached. I mean, you've uh, you've talked a little bit about all of this, all of the data that is being stored per person. I mean, it's it's kind of mind-boggling. I mean, how do you store such huge amounts of data in a decentralized environment, and 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 where does it go? And, and isn't that a huge amount of data to you know to store and interpret down the road? So, and then how do we ensure that we have good data coming into the system? Um, so can you talk a little bit about this kind of volume and quality of data, if you don't mind?
0: That's a good point. Um, so we, the second pillar in our development is quality of data. And the way we're thinking about it is that we have to enable individuals, the data citizens, to store as much raw data as possible now, because going forward, we will get better algorithms that reanalyze that data. We've seen this mistake before where you say, I'm only interested in certain signature, I throw away all the 99.9% of data. Whereas if you had kept it, because you generated all the metadata, you'll be able to re, uh, retroactively analyze it when you have a nugget of knowledge in the future that gets you more insight. So the first pillar is that we have to have a quality, and that quality comes from keeping all the raw data that we can. And so the way, the way we do it conventionally, which is with the conventional data storage racks and stuff, it's gonna be a very costly endeavor. And it also makes it hard to have it at a distributed network and stuff. So partnering with um, companies like Swiss Vault, we're looking at technologies that can enable us to now, in a very small form factor, low cost, low space usage, and with built-in hardware security, uh, distribute that data wherever the data is being collected and uh, secure in a decentralized way. So that we can, uh, first of all, store it for a long period of time because the units can store for 20 years or more, and, then, um, and not at low cost. And then built in the smart contracts that you know, can only access the data through our uh, regulated way.
2: Yeah, I mean, each, each file is how large? I think you said it was.
0: One terabyte of raw data in the genome. Yeah, <clears throat> so a typical run for one genome patient would be one terabyte of data. And uh, when you get up to about uh, uh, 500 million genomes, you're at 500 exabytes of raw data which you know you take a one square block of building four stories high that you might and you fill it with disk drives you might get to one exabyte of data you need 500 of those buildings just to manage this amount of data it's going to be the economics the way we do it now is it makes it impossible
3: exactly so you know what, we are also exploring uh, other aspects of data storage such so, so as for example ipfs that's very interesting, um, but at this point uh, we are we are just uh, at early stages modeling and, uh, and understanding what possibilities we have. But definitely, you know, with the with the upcoming uh, GDPR regulations, which actually are already in place since uh, I think it was the twentieth of May, twenty fifth of May, um, the GDPR regulations empower every citizen to uh, hold their data. So we are also starting the possibilities to allow you, you know, as as being within the Jimbo platform to hold your data, so that's there are three different approaches. Uh, but depending on the use case, they they work differently. So uh, this is this is the, the the three possibilities that we are looking into.
0: Yeah, I should elaborate more on the last one. I forgot to, to mention that <clears throat> there are early adopters who would probably want to say, "I want to hold my own data, and uh, you know, I don't want to tr- uh, to have it distributed in that, in a certain blockchain and uh, the network that you have set up, which is very fine. It's a reasonable request. We're, the way we're approaching it is that we're designing a handheld device for up to several terabytes of data, which, can, which now is their own private vault that they can store the data at home. And uh, there are pros and cons to all these approaches, but uh, we're looking at trying to give um, our early adopters uh, uh, different uh, choices.
3: Exactly.
2: Yeah, it's like a hardware wallet for your own. Uh, yeah. Genetic yeah, data. It's very interesting. It's like
3: it's like the Ledger Nano, for example, right? You hold the private keys, and you have your tokens there. Uh, but in this case, will be for example with the with with genome, also phenotypic information. You can also use it as a wallet to get uh, the tokens that you get back from your from your data. Uh, but the limitations that Bupinder was was describing is that um, this is a cold storage, so you will not have the the interaction to. To present that data to the to the interested parties, so we are also working on that. Uh, there are different uh, different possibilities to access sort of a snake peek of of this citizen in terms of the their biology, and and see how we could uh, you know link to uh, to these third uh, service providers or healthcare bodies to the to the actual data that that they might need.
2: Yeah, there's a big separation between. The uh, you know this raw data itself, all of that data and the attributes um, that it represents. I mean, it, as it currently exists, we probably don't know most of the actual attributes that are in that data. Um, as as far as we've come, we know that there's a long way to go. So, um, how would this information help institutions do better research? To um, now and in the future, if it's if if. We, we, don't, we know what we don't know, and we don't know so much that we don't. So how would, that, how would this uh, help those institutions do better research? You're
0: right, there's all these unknown unknowns. And uh, we're, we want to discover, uh, enable researchers in academia, <coughs> as well as uh, in government and industry to be able to connect the dots. And the way we do that, um, focusing on genomics, and there's many layers of genomic information, by the way. It's not just a primary DNA sequence. There's also RNA sequencing. What to expressed? There's uh, epigenetic information and what uh, regulations occur by methylation in certain regions. We need to. We'll be trying to capture all that data into this platform, and when connect the dots is that you have patients with certain um, health conditions, and then when you have a, a when you allow for a, a connection of them through this network, you can then uh, also assess their genome underlying genome um, sequences, and then. You know, pull out the needle in the haystack, kind of. This is this is the variant that connects you all. And by the way, we only at the moment we're only looking at about one point five percent of the genome. It's that ninety eight percent that we're all, that we think to have all the gold that's in there for all the common conditions that we have, like dementia, like uh, diabetes, etc., that, that affect more and more people. in the Population.
3: Exactly. You know, uh, Jason. In case, for example. You're a person that don't want to know uh, what your risks are. That's, that's perfectly fine. Actually, I'm, I'm a person like that. I don't want to go to bed thinking that I might have a heart attack in five years or something like that. But uh, I would instead, well, would like to know uh, what I have to do to live longer. So by sharing this data, for example, with companies that create data intelligence from your genomics or, or your DNA, you can create, for example, an action plan that you could follow what to eat, what to do During the day, if you need to exercise more often, uh, uh, go, for example, working out, running more, burning more calories, um, sleep more. um, And all this this type of phenotypic with genotypic data combined will tell you how to avoid certain diseases and live longer. But you don't necessarily have to know what exactly you're avoiding. You just want to live longer. That's it. That's all what you want to know. Uh, What do you have to do? So that's what Genebook empowers. And that's also our vision.
2: Yeah, I mean, from a user experience point of view to take away some of the, um, not everybody's looking to uh, create a new a routine. They just want uh, something to help them uh, be healthier or, or help their kids be healthier. So sure. a, it could be very simple. Huh? Yeah. yeah, it could be. Um, so uh, we've been talking about uh, the connections between uh, GeneBook and some of your capabilities. So, uh, what are some of the connections between um, Gene Book and, and the Sweetbridge economy and some of the protocols that we've uh, been talking about together.
3: Sure. So, um, what we find exciting about Sweetbridge is that uh, you guys have a, a liquidity protocol that we can use to, to enable our users uh, lock their DNA, right? While uh, other institutions, let's um, say, access the information on that DNA to create intelligence. So this is uh, comparable, for example, if you lock an asset, like let's say your house uh, or your car, in this case, your DNA will be your asset. Uh, we are, we're, very, uh, we're actually looking forward to starting using it, the, the sooner the better, because that's actually the way that people can kind of start creating liquidity out of their DNA. Um, there probably could be many different conditions that uh, these third party providers or, or health insurances or pharmaceuticals will set on that uh, type of deal. For example, you need to lock your DNA for six months because we are starting a clinical trial with your specific DNA. So we need to, we need to better understand and uh, create certain, uh, or say competitive with the rest of the market. So that means that your DNA will be locked, let's say for six months, uh, while you create liquidity from the interaction that you have with, let's say that pharmaceutical. However, the pharmaceutical doesn't necessarily ask you to lock your DNA you could lock it with them, but then lock it with somebody else and, and use it as, as you wish and have this, let's say, this contract and, and, and this frame to create the liquidity and the value-based services that you're expecting.
2: Yeah, that's critical. I mean, you um, at present, it usually is a, a very long life cycle uh, from the beginning of any kind of research project to any sort of industrialization and so anything that can kind of accelerate the flow of uh, you know money and capital uh, faster to uh, both from the the pharma company side or the research company side as well as the patient um, will accelerate the process uh, significantly I think definitely
3: and it's actually not only about uh, creating liquidity out of uh, let's say you of create money out of your DNA Uh, it's, it's more also about, for example, creating a relationship between yourself and, say, a pharmaceutical. In the future, pharmaceuticals, or actually now, um, are building drugs that are uh, for one specific condition, uh, as well as many other pharmaceuticals building the same drug for that specific condition. So let's say one specific cancer. Uh, what is going to determine that a doctor will prescribe the drug of, let's say, I don't know, Novartis, Roche, or, or Pfizer? Uh, and not from a different pharmaceutical. So if you as a a patient knows that that specific drug was built with your DNA and you have been having, for example, certain amount of time interacting with that pharmaceutical, you gave your data, so they, they know you very well. The liquidity protocol could create this relationship between the pharmaceutical and you. So that for example, you can generate discounts after the drug is in the market liaise with your health insurance to uh, grant you first-in-class access to those type of drugs, right? So it's not only about selling your DNA. Uh, We are not a data selling company. We just want to enable you to create intelligence out of your data and get those services that you need for your specific DNA, for your specific code. And the liquidity protocol fulfills actually most of that.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think this is where it gets pretty exciting when we look at the economic uh, connection and, and how it can really accelerate science um, at the same time. So, and then, uh you know, from the side of liquidity, there's that uh, speed of payment or the ability to make payments. And then on a, almost on the discount side, we think of it like, um, you know, you're, you're basically getting access to future discounts on, on something based on a certain level of performance. So for instance, a patient would have a discount to use uh, the pharmaceutical if they complied and were using it you know, monthly and, and if they participated in the appropriate uh, qualification program or they were a part of that group. Um, sure. So there's two sides. And, and it's also
3: very important to know that um, genomic data with phenotypic data complement very well. So if you uh, decide to increase the amount of data, let's say, phenotypically speaking, that you, you put in the platform, uh, the insights will be more precise, and therefore the, the, the value-based services that you get will, will be more tailored to your specific conditions and to your specific lifestyle. If for you is important, uh, certain aspects uh, of your life, and you don't want to give up those aspects, the idea is that you can fine tune what to do um, to maybe compensate other parts of your life that are that probably uh, damaging to your health, and and and, and see what's important and uh, what you are willing to give up or not, and be able to um, to create that intelligence, right, in the end. And of course, be compensated. That's that's the most important part. That the compensation goes to you as a user, and not to other companies or to other places that you don't even that you don't even know. You will also know where your data is
2: at all times. Yeah, it should benefit uh, you, or it should benefit the patient, not uh, not a third-party aggregator or a reseller Definitely. of the research. Well, very, very interesting, very cool stuff you guys are doing there. Uh, you know, Bupinder, you had. Uh, I'm going to ask if you you said that there were two <laughs> first pillars. Was there a third pillar of, of your approach and? and can you describe that, or?
0: Well, the I think the first two pillars are probably the most fundamental ones. of, which is anonymity, and also enabling the quality of data to be stored. And we have to look at solutions that underlie these kind of things, always. And uh, so, um, the third—I don't really have a third one, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I, I think one, the third one was that we always have to be one step ahead of, um, of you know, how we can help our clients, customers, where people are coming on board to get the best in their healthcare. So if, in, in the case, genomics is not in the end all be all because we're learning, right? It's only been about 70 years since we understood the DNA molecule. It's a blip in time of human history, but we have a lot long, long further to go. And as we, as we get there, we need to keep our team always agile and knowing that you know, we may have to pivot and provide additional information and uh, be able to do that uh, incorporated into GeneBook platform would be important. So a third pillar would be innovation.
2: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's the openness to the future and, and all the change that is coming at us so fast right now. Right. This is a great case study for you know, so many pieces of uh, you know, what, what we're seeing. It's, it's um, you know, the connection of science and economics and, uh, and technology you know, coming together to get so much done. Um, but I appreciate great. it. They, they, thanks uh, so much, guys. Do you have any uh, final thoughts for me you you'd like to share?
3: One, one thing that is exciting is that uh, we are in Switzerland, and Switzerland is a very proactive uh, crypto country, if I might say. Uh, We're also in Basel, which is the the house of, of, uh, of Roche and Novartis. And, the and there are other pharmaceuticals, like Actelion and um, uh, we also have the Insuk, the the Crypto Valley Association. Uh, also, I think the Ethereum Foundation is also there. So everything is is, is ready, basically, for this specific uh, use case, which is which is Jimbook. So we are pretty excited to be here, and uh, we have we have chosen this place to do it because because uh, everything everything happens in in Switzerland. So that's. Was one of the most exciting parts for us. Um, we are we are getting a huge support
0: from different sides, and we're very happy about that. And finally, I would um, to add on to what uh, Daniel was saying, is saying we're definitely working locally <clears> at <throat> the first versions off the ground, but we're thinking globally. And um, the earlier allusion to uh, flattening the genomic landscape means that anyone in emerging markets in uh, the most um, people who are most um, sort of marginalized and cannot participate at the moment, we hope that this platform can extend and enable them to participate fully in healthcare innovation that's happening all over the world. And uh, so we think that that's what uh, that's our, one of our sort of aims is to be able to provide healthcare uh, globally. And I hope that that's kind of um, uh, close to my heart because, you know, and Daniel and I, we both come from emerging countries where we've seen the plight of poverty and uh, we want to be able to enable those people to enable people all around the world to be able to get health care. It should be a fundamental human right.
3: Bringing all this together is also very satisfying because, as, as Bupinder was saying, I'm, I'm Colombian. Uh, uh, Bupinder, uh, you, you were born in Canada, but your family is from India, right? Right. right. So uh, we, we have seen our countries and we have seen... Uh, the need that these people need to engage. And if they can engage and they can have a better healthcare services, uh, countries will become also more competitive and will flatten all these, all these uh, uh, healthcare market, so that everybody has uh, decent service and, and know better what's good for them, what to do and how to stay healthier.
2: Yeah, very much agreed. Even having, I've been around the world a little bit, but even growing up in the United States all my life, it's um, it is disheartening when you look at how much is spent on healthcare and how uh, the effectiveness that we get for that. So, I mean, every, uh, every country has a lot to, to gain uh, through, through doing this job better.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: Exactly. All right. Well, it's, it's been really a uh, great having you guys join me on the sweet bridge sweet talk podcast and, uh, and, and thanks so much for your time, and I look forward to future collaboration. That we go. Um, where where can uh, the listeners go to find out some more about GeneBook?
3: Uh, www.genebook.io is our website. So you can go there, and if you have any questions, uh, you can you can contact us at uh, the email we provided there. And uh, yeah, we're actually also welcoming everybody to to join this project. I think this is something that we. Cannot do alone, uh, we need everybody to do it and, and help us with this vision. Uh, we're collaborating with different companies at this point that are in the blockchain space that also have the same vision that your data should be owned by you and, and you should um, create
0: intelligence out of your data. And annually we'll hold a forum in Basel in September. Yeah. And uh, this is something where you can also, anyone can engage with us. There's an academic discussion about the need to deliver the healthcare solutions like through blockchain, smart contracts, and uh, how we can enable this technology to, uh, to be employed.
3: Sure, we'll be presenting the program.
0: So if uh,
3: any of you listeners want to join us there and, uh, and ask us questions, uh, there will be a panel of experts in, uh, in, uh, in healthcare in general, as well as uh, blockchain, smart contracts, so that so that we can have a healthy discussion and create
0: ideas and, and make this happen. See our website for that uh, information on the on the workshop on the forum. It's coming up in September.
2: Great, I'll, I'll post that link on the uh, page as well for our blog. So um, excellent. Well, so much to look right. forward to here, and uh, <clears throat> thanks for thanks for joining me, Daniel Bupinder. Yeah, thank, thank you as
0: well, for the wonderful opportunity,
2: and thank you to the whole uh, Swedish community as well. Much appreciated. All right. That concludes our broadcast for today. Sweet talk.